0: All right, with all that said and done, we are in the final message of our series called Life on Mission. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. And look, really the heart behind this this little three-part series is we wanted to break down your preconceptions about what it means to be on mission. Uh, that, that as Christian we, we can sometimes get this, this wrong idea in our head about what it means to, to be on mission, that we think it means you've got to jump on a plane, you've got to head to a third world nation, or uh, start handing out food on the side of the road. But uh, as a Christian, we actually believe that being on mission isn't so much an issue of, of where you are, so much as it is an issue of who God has made you to be that God has given each and every one of us uh, a unique story, unique trials, unique triumphs, and those things, they actually uniquely position us to come alongside people in our lives and do life with them and and share the gospel with them. Uh, That as a Christian, we are on mission wherever God sends us and whatever we find ourselves doing. And and look, I'm going to be honest with you. Tonight, I'm in a little bit of a tricky situation because we're about to jump into the book of Acts, Paul is going to get up, and he's going to preach the first sermon we have on record of his. And it's, it's, a, it's a doozy. He's going to go deep. He's going to go into the Old Testament. He's going to uh, bring up messianic prophecy, and it's, it's really exciting. And as a Bible nerd, I could quite happily just read through uh, Paul's sermon, bring to you the, the, the context, and, and dive into those verses, uh, you know, preach the gospel, tell you to, to repent and believe, and at the very least, I would go home. A very happy man. Uh, and, and look, I'm gonna do a little bit of that tonight. So uh, if you do want to know what this whole Christianity thing is all about, what the gospel message is, we are gonna cover that in tonight's message. But uh, I'm also really aware of the fact that for most of us that, that, that call ourselves Christians, the idea of sharing the gospel, it's kind of terrifying. Uh, that you, you know, don't get me wrong, we we, we want to do that. We would love for our friends and family to uh, to hear the good news, to see people going from uh, walking in hopelessness to being filled with hope, to uh, go from being burdened with shame and guilt to walking in freedom, that, that we would love for those around us to experience the salvation we know is available in Christ. But what happens is some good-minded pastor uh, gets up here on a Sunday and tells you that you need to be the one to go out and share that news with people the people in your lives. And and I've been there, I've been sitting in a seat when when a message like that has been preached, and and what happens is like your your heart tightens up, you you get nervous at at the thought of it, maybe your palms start sweating a little bit, and and these excuses start running through your head. Like, I'm not going to have the right words to say, or I'm not going to be able to answer people's questions, I'm going to muck it up. That we feel like we need a black belt in Christianity or a master's degree in theology or to be a pastor in order to share the gospel with those around us. And look, I'll just give you a little insider secret. Um, being a pastor does not help uh, with those conversations. Uh, in fact, what, what people like Sandy and I do here on a Sunday, in a lot of ways, it's easier than sitting down and having a one-on-one conversation with someone. Because I can get up here and, and I can preach the gospel and... Uh, if I'm honest, I, I, can, I can muck it up a bit, I, I can say the wrong sort of thing, I, I can offend you, and, and I'm not really risking any relationships over that. I'm not going to lose a friendship if I say the wrong thing that, unless I really muck up what I'm saying, most of you are probably coming back here next Sunday. Well, not next Sunday because no one's going to be here, but you get the idea. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and we know that this context, the, the way that I present the gospel up here, it, it doesn't actually work. In your office on Monday morning. It doesn't work in, your, in that, that dinner you're having with some friends during the week. It doesn't work at, at, uh, with your classmates at school or at uni. And so what I want to do tonight is, yes, I want to preach the gospel. I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm going to walk through what the gospel means. But, but as I do, I also want to grab a hold of sort of the way that Paul is presenting this message. And I want to bring to the surface some of his uh, practices, some techniques he, he uses and, and contextualize those to our situation and, and our context so that you guys can leave this place tonight having not only heard the gospel but feeling encouraged and equipped to be able to do it and, and share it with those in your life. So does that sound good, church? Awesome. One person is excited. Uh, it's okay, we'll get there by the end, I promise. Uh, so as I said, if you've got your Bible... Uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia. All right, so, so what's happening here is we're tracking through the very first mission trip of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and if you read through this section of Scripture, he's going to bounce back and forth between something like 11 different locations over the course of the trip. Uh, And each of them, of course, has an appropriately difficult name for me to have to pronounce. Uh, And if you want a little passes trick on on how you pronounce these names, you know, if you're in a small group and you're you're reading through a list of names or something, here's what you do. You look at the word, you guess, and you just say it with a whole lot of confidence. And and I, I promise you, no one will be able to tell the difference. Uh, except for maybe Sandy, and if Sandy corrects you, you just rebuke the spirit of self-righteousness and you you move on with your day. Uh, (laughs) But no, Paul and his companions, they're on this mission trip, and they're going from city to city, and they end up in the city of Antioch. Uh, And just last little note here before we jump into the story, this isn't the same Antioch they left from. Uh, There was a Roman guy who had this thing with naming every city Antioch, so this is a different Antioch. It's the Antioch in Pisidia. All right, verse 14. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. So Paul and Barnabas and the rest of this team, they arrive in town and Saturday comes and so they head into synagogue, which essentially is just a Jewish church service. And verse 15, after the, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, then say it. Okay, so this is the way a typical synagogue service would play out, that uh, you'd come into the main hall of the synagogue, which would be this big uh, sort of open space, uh, and all the women would sit on one side and all the men would sit on the other, uh, and then the the leader or the ruler of the synagogue would get up and they'd open with prayers. Uh, They'd say a prayer called the Shema. And from there, like we're told in this verse, what would happen is uh, someone would read from the, the law, which is just the first five books of the Bible, and then after that, someone would read from the prophets, which is most of the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, and then what would happen is that the leader of the synagogue would get up and they'd give a teaching based on those verses. So not too far off what we do here uh, in 2023. And, and what Paul is taking advantage of is this tradition that if you had a visiting rabbi in your synagogue, you would actually invite them to come up and give the message. Uh, And I was chatting this through with Sandy during the week, and can I just say, I'm so glad we have not kept that tradition in Christianity today, because I can imagine nothing worse than being on holiday and visiting a different church, and they somehow recognize my pastor and invite me to give an impromptu sermon. It's nightmare material. Uh, But essentially, that's what's happening here, that that Paul rocks up in the synagogue, and he gets invited to come and give a sermon. Uh, And this actually becomes Paul's practice in every town he visits from this point on. That Saturday would come, he'd go to the local synagogue, he'd dress in his full rabbi outfit so no one could mistake who he was, uh, and then inevitably he'd be invited to get up on stage. And he'd act all surprised, he'd act shocked, and then um, he'd say, well, if you insist, and then he'd get up and he would preach the gospel. And the reason I highlight this story is because, firstly, I think it's kind of funny that Paul uses this trick to sneak his way onto stage and preach the gospel, but secondly, what we can actually take away from this is that it is far easier to share the gospel when we've first been invited to speak into people's lives. See, do you know what I think is a pretty ineffective way of sharing the gospel? Standing on a milk cart on the side of the road, yelling at people you don't know and telling them they're all going to hell. And can God use that? Sure, he, he can, of course he can. he can. He can use that however he wants. And, and if God calls you into that ministry, we'll, we'll pray for you, we'll send you off, but I will just ask you to take off any Kemal Church merchandise before you do so. Uh, but, but the problem is with that approach is you don't really have any permission to speak into people's lives when you do that. That, that people haven't allowed you through the doors of their heart. And so what that means is, is any words you speak to them, Anything you share with them, it's sort of going to be put to the side that they're going to ignore it and they're going to get on with their lives. See, church, before we start talking about what the gospel is or how we should be sharing it, we need to understand that sharing the gospel should always mean coming alongside people. It means being invited to speak into people's lives, having the sort of space where we can actually say the things that people need to hear and they're willing and able to do so. And so look, for for Paul, Paul lived in this hierarchical culture, right? That based on his studies, based on on what he'd done and the people he'd studied under and his uh, position as a Pharisee, he'd sort of, he had earned a level of honor and prestige that actually gave him the right to speak into people's lives. But that, that doesn't really work for us, right? That you can't go away and just earn enough degrees and have enough titles and all of a sudden everyone will listen to every word that you have to say. That we live in a far more relational culture. And so what that means is in order for us to be able to speak into people's lives, we first need to come alongside them. We first need to build relationships and show people that they actually matter to us. That their families matter. That their jobs matter to us. That their hobbies matter to us. That their studies or their interests, that they actually matter to us. We need to remember their birthdays. We need to uh, check in on them when they, when they experience a loss or, or drop a food with them when they're sick. That, that we need to live life in such a way that we're actively demonstrating to the people around us that we care for them, that we love them and, and we're willing to, 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 to show that in the sort of lives we lead. Not because people are projects, they can tell when you approach with that sort of agenda and, and this isn't just a way to sneak into people's hearts we need to do these things because we actually care about them, because we love them, because we want them to experience that the salvation we know is available for them in Christ. That Romans 2.4 says it is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And so whenever we're thinking about sharing the gospel, we first need to make sure we're in the mindset of doing everything in love and grace and kindness. And and another thing before we move on, just look at how Paul interacts with this crowd. That verse 16, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. He's not offensive. He's not rude. He's not harsh. He's not heaping judgment and condemnation upon people. He's not expecting them to to know everything they need to know and then being disappointed when they don't. In fact, Paul actually compliments this crowd. He, He encourages them. Despite the fact that in Paul's mind that they don't have all their beliefs lined up, they don't know everything they need to, yet Paul, he loves them. He he encourages them. See, sometimes, and especially if you've grown up in a very churchy setting, we can be so zealous to share the gospel that because of the way we present it, people don't even have a chance to hear what we're saying because they've been offended by the way we're saying it. And, And look, Don't don't hear me wrong, the gospel will actually offend people. That the message of the gospel is offensive. It's it's the truth of the gospel says that uh, we're all sinners who need a savior, that, that God came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And in the sort of culture and world we live in, that that will offend people. That the gospel rightly presented will rightly offend. But we need to make sure we're not offending people with things that aren't the gospel. That everything we do in sharing it should be above reproach. That the words we use, that the language we choose, it should be things that they understand. That we need to cover their situations in love and grace, and we need to respect where people are coming from. That 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the, re- the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect always having a good conscience. So church, when we share the gospel, we always start by coming alongside people and loving them in the way that Christ first loved us. All right, verse 17. And what Paul's going to do here is he's going to push through the entire Old Testament in like six verses. Uh, So I don't know what that says about me and Sandy because at this rate, it's going to take us two years to get through the book of Acts. But uh, I guess when you write half the New Testament, you can get away with that. Uh, verse 17, the God, of this pe- the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the, the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. So there you go, there's Genesis and half of Exodus. Uh, verse 18, and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, that's the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance, the book of Joshua... All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them the judges, so have a guess what book that is, uh, until Samuel the prophet, first uh, and second Samuel. Uh, verse 21, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years, First Kings and First Chronicles. And finally, when he had removed them, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Who will do all my will. So that's 2 Kings, Second Chronicles, most of the minor prophets and, and the Psalms thrown in for good measure. So if you ever want to complain about preachers who summarize far too much of the Bible without actually reading the verses, uh, just take that one up with Paul in heaven. Uh, but but no, what Paul's actually doing here is he's contextualizing. That he looks at this crowd that has gathered around him and he's identified the aspects of their identity that lend themselves to being open towards the gospel. Because just look where Paul is, right? He's surrounded by, he's in a synagogue, surrounded by a whole bunch of religious practicing Jews. And you know what religious practicing Jews are really into? The Old Testament. I mean, most of the men in the room had probably memorized the first five books of the Bible off by heart, word word for word, verse by verse, the entire first five books. And they would have done that by the age of 12. Uh, From there, most of them would have gone on to memorize entire swathes of the rest of the Bible. Uh, They would have sung the Psalms on on a daily basis. Like, these guys really know their Bible. And so what Paul is doing is he's taking them on a journey through the Old Testament in such a way that it lands in the person and works of Jesus. And I wish I had time to go through all these stories that Paul is referencing because each and every one of them is like this little microcosm of the gospel. That time and time again, the narrative of the Old Testament is the story of a loving God chasing down his rebellious children again and again and again. And and look, for sure, Paul's trying to pull on that thread a little bit and and get them thinking about the the story uh, of the Old Testament and God's redemptive plan for them. But above and beyond that, what I think Paul is trying to do here is draw to the surface the real heart cry of every Jewish person their longing, their desire for the Messiah. See, in every moment in history that Paul has just walked through, what every Jewish man, woman, and child had been longing for was the one who was going to come and make all the wrong things right. That in the book of Genesis where God says, there's going to come one of your seed who will crush the head of the snake all the way through to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament where the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. God had promised that he was going to send somebody who was going to restore all the brokenness in the world. That he was going to send a single human Jewish male who was going to come and he was going to do a work that would restore our hearts and our minds so that we would be able to come back into relationship with God. And so for generation upon generation upon generation, the Jewish people have been waiting and hoping and longing for that day when the Messiah would come. That that, to be honest, I don't think we actually fully understand how much of an issue this was for the Jews. How much pain there was surrounding this topic. that, That they just did not understand why God was taking so long to fulfill his promises. That it was the biggest pain point of the entire people group. And church, that's where Paul meets them. He's talking to them in a language and a framework they understand, the Scriptures and the Old Testament, but, but more than that, he, he's meeting them where they're hurting. He's meeting them where their need is. He's meeting them where, where their real questions are. And, and see, church, the gospel will always start there. It, it will always start where people are because it can't start anywhere else. That we always need to start by speaking into people's context into their questions, into their pain. And what we do is we allow the gospel to take them on a journey that leads to the solution that is found in Jesus Christ. Just to give you another example from Scripture, so you know I'm not making this up. um, In Acts chapter 17, which will probably be in by March next year, uh, Paul is addressing a completely different crowd. He's speaking to a whole bunch of Greek philosophers. And so for that group, he, he doesn't start by, by quoting scripture, he starts by quoting Greek prophets and po- sorry, Greek philosophers and Greek poets. And again, he, he picks up the cry of their hearts that, that he's walking through the city and he's talking to these people and, and he sees they've put up this altar to an unknown God. And, and so what he says, he's like, he looks at these guys and he says, I, I see that you're religious. I see that you believe in the idea of gods and spiritual beings, so I'm not going to try and convince you of that fact. But what's more, I actually see you have this cry in your heart for something more, that you realize and acknowledge that there must be more than what you're experiencing, there must be more than what you understand, and so in order to fill that gap in your life, you've created this altar to an unknown God, and that just sort of covers all your bases. That again, Paul meets them in a medium they understand. He's talking in terms of Greek poets and philosophers, but more than that, he's addressing their questions and he's addressing the needs that are sitting on their hearts. See, church, whenever we present the gospel, we need to make sure we are doing that exact same thing. That sharing the gospel means discovering people's stories. And what that means is you start with understanding their worldview. You understand their context, you understand the way they think about things, and and you pick out the bits of those that that open or or, or incline someone towards the gospel. But again, more than that, once you've worked out what their worldview is, what you need to do is work out two really important things. You need to work out where they're aching, and you need to work out where they're asking. You need to work out where people are hurting in their lives and where they still have questions. See, if you really want to relate to someone, if you really want to show someone how the gospel is applicable to their lives, then then you need to find the parts of their stories that cause them pain, the the parts of their stories that that they don't understand. Because church, I'm telling you, it it is that brokenness, it it is that pain, it is that hurt, it, it is those questions that sit upon them day after day after day that Jesus actually wants to meet. And see, I think the reason often people still carry around that pain because the reason they still have those questions is because they've tried to fill it with everything this world has to offer. They've tried to build that altar to an unknown God, but they can't fill that hole in their hearts because it is a God-sized hole and only God can fill it. See, maybe the way this works for you is you're sitting down and you're having a chat with someone. And it's a conversation, it's one-on-one, you're just doing life together, and what you discover is, is they grew up in the church, that they grew up going to, to church every Sunday and saying their prayers and reading their Bible, and can, can I just say, as we've been prepping for the Why this series, we have bumped into those people again and again and again, and, and, and they are everywhere, and they have the, this ache in their heart. And, and so you have this, this conversation with them, and you work out that's their story, That that's the... the, the the journey they've been on, and and then you work out where it's hurting in their lives. See, maybe the reason that they walked away from the church and they walked away from God is because they felt they were never good enough. They were trying to do all the rules and and trying to follow all the laws, but they felt like they were always falling short of a perfect God. And and now they're sitting in this place where they they never feel like they're good enough. Or or maybe you bump into someone at uni and, you know, that, that... They're just dealing with issues of stress and anxiety and depression and they don't know what to do with it. And they're left in the situation where they're asking how in the world they're gonna get through the next couple of weeks and how they're supposed to, to deal with these issues in their lives. And you just come alongside them and you meet them in that story. Or maybe you've just got a friend and they've got no basis for Christianity whatsoever. And yet for whatever reason, they just have these questions sitting on their heart about whether or not God is real or, 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 or why you go to church every Sunday or why you believe the things you believe. The church, we need to, to come alongside people. We need to hear their stories. We need to hear their context so we can meet them where they are. And, and see, what, what you do is, is once you've worked out where they are, once you work out where they're coming from, you, you grab a hold of those questions, you grab a hold of that pain, and, and you, introduce, you show them how Jesus fits into that space. That Paul goes on, verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus as he promised. See, church, sharing the gospel ultimately isn't about sharing more information. It's not about arguing people into the faith. That's not the point. That ultimately we're not trying to explain to people an ideology we have come to accept. We're not trying to explain a a theology we have come to believe. We're trying to introduce them to a person we have come to know. That sharing the gospel means introducing Jesus. And can I just say, that 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 should free you up. Because what that means is, is sharing the gospel isn't about getting it right and how you deliver a message. It's not making sure you have all your apologetics worked out and you understand the Bible completely and you have all your questions answered. It simply means we come alongside people, we hear their stories, we discover their pain, and then we show them how Jesus meets that point. And so for this crowd that's gathered around Paul, that their pain, their questions was about the Messiah. And so Jesus, so Paul meets that by showing how Jesus addresses that hurt. That verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So, so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, you guys heard about John the Baptist, right? You know he was, he's the last great prophet we have, and, and he was pointed towards Jesus. He understood who Jesus was. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the, their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. All right, so... so, so. I know there's a lot there, and Paul's speaking to their very specific context, but what he's going to do now is he's just going to walk through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's going to walk through the gospel. Verse 28, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death. In other words, Jesus lived a perfect life. That the gospel doesn't start with the cross, it starts with Jesus walking the face of this earth. And see, what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to live a perfect life. He's going to die a sinner's death and he's going to be raised again on the third day. And what the Bible says happens is for whoever trusts in that work, whoever trusts in what Jesus did on the cross, not only is our brokenness put upon him, but we actually get credited to us Jesus' perfect record, that we get his righteousness, we get his right standing before God. That Martin Luther called it the great exchange, that that we give Jesus our brokenness and in his place he gives us uh, his right standing before God. That Paul will write in in 2 Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And, And so Paul goes on, verse 28, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. That Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet despite that, he died a sinner's death. That on the cross, Jesus died the most humiliating, the most shameful, the most painful death the world has ever known. So much so that the word we have excruciating literally comes from from Latin words, which mean from the base of the cross. But verse 30, God raised him up from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. That Jesus lived the perfect life. He died a sinner's death and and they put him in a tomb. And three days later, he walked out of it. That upon the cross, Jesus takes care of our sin problem. But in his resurrection, he secures our future with him. That the resurrection robs death of its sting. It it gives us hope that this life is not all there is. That that one day we will all stand in resurrected bodies before God and glorify him forever and ever and ever. And and church, that story, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that that is all the gospel is. And and, and see, what you do is when when you're sharing that story, you you grab a hold of it and and you just just show how how Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection meets the cry of every human heart. To to that person who who grew up in the church but they got burned by religion, what they need to see is that that the whole point of this thing we call Christianity, it's not about rules, it's not about laws, it's about a relationship. That the whole reason Jesus came and he he lived a life on this earth is because we couldn't follow all the rules, but he could. That the reason he died is because he he was paying the price for our inability to, to be right, and he died for us in order that we may have relationship with God. To to that person in your class who's stressed and they're dealing with anxiety and they've got like three assignments during the next two weeks and they haven't started two of them and and they don't know how they're going to get through the next couple of weeks. What what they need to understand is that Jesus sees them where they are and he loves them. And because of the work he did on the cross, if we put our trust in him, we're we're given this promise of a peace that cannot be taken away. We're given the promise of a hope that cannot be shaken, a, a joy the world cannot rob us of. To to that friend who's just got question after question after question, you don't need to give them all the answers. And and you can just honestly say that to them. But you just point them to to the the life of Jesus and say, look, if you follow after him for long enough, if you keep digging into who he was, I promise you one day he will give you all your answers. That we grab a hold of the gospel and we just apply it to people's lives. I mean, do you actually know what the word gospel means? It's, just a, it's a Greek word that literally just means good news. That verse 32, Paul goes on, and we bring you the good news. See, church, in order for something to be good news, it actually has to be good. That the birth of Jesus, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, it's not just information to add to the things you know. It's not just a fact and you can just mentally assent to it and move on with the rest of your life. It's really, really, really good. And because it's good, what that means is it comes into your life and it actually does something deep down at the heart level. It transforms your way of thinking. It changes your desire. It drives away fear. It overcomes hopelessness. It breaks through darkness. That 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came and became a man so that men and women could become sons and daughters of God. And that's all that Paul preaches here. He doesn't preach the teachings of Jesus. He he simply preaches Jesus' life, death, and resurrection because that's all the gospel is. And church, I I promise you, if you preach that into people's lives, if you grab the hold of that story and bring it down to to the, the deepest tears in their souls, when you bring it to their questions, the things they wish they had answers to, it actually does something. That Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That church, we don't need a carefully worded argument. We don't need answers to everyone's questions. We don't even have to have our lives all together in order to share the gospel. All we need to do is come alongside people, hear their story, and then share the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus into that space. And that is the power of God for salvation. All right, so so Paul is is taking this crowd before him on this journey, and he's met them where they are. He's he's speaking into their context, and he's going to finish off the the whole arc of the messianic promise, and then he's going to land in a gospel invitation. Uh, From the end of verse 32, That what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, uh, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he, he has spoken in this way, saying, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption, for David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. All right, there's a lot there. Most of it isn't really applicable to what we're talking. Again, he's speaking into their context. He's speaking to their desire for the the Messiah to come. But but these next two verses, he's gonna wrap up this entire message by giving a gospel invitation. Verse 38, let it be known to you therefore Brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That that he lands in the space and he's like, guys, this is it. That this is the answer. This is the the answer to that pain in your life. This is the answer to the questions that, that you don't understand. This is it. And again, church, the gospel, it's not just information. It is good news unto salvation. And and so look, all all that means is, again, our role in in this this whole process of of sharing the gospel with someone. We come alongside someone. we, We hear their story. We show how Jesus meets the real cry, the real need of the heart. And then we simply share an invitation. And look, I'm not saying that, that every spiritual conversation you need to have with someone uh, needs to land with an invitation for them to give their lives to Jesus. Uh, that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That, that, that sometimes we just have a part in this conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with someone. In fact, Alpha have actually done some studies on this, and it, what they found is it takes between, somewhere between 12 and 14 contact points for someone to come to faith. So that's 12 to 14 different connections, different conversations, different moments with potentially different people. Different people who come alongside them, hear their story, hear their pain, tell them about Jesus. And it takes 12 to 14 of those in order for someone to to give their life to Jesus. But church, the gospel itself is always an invitation. That every one of those connection points, every one of those moments is an invitation for someone to go deeper. For someone to ask the next question for someone to come back the next time. And what that sounds like is, hey, if you want to know more, why don't we meet again next week? Hey, there's a podcast, a podcast I heard that, that talks into some of your questions. Why don't we both listen to it and work it out together? Hey, why don't you come along to church next week? And just, just side fact, did you know that 67% of Australians would come to church if a friend or family member invited them? That's two-thirds of Australians. But but, but see, not everyone is going to make a decision to follow Jesus after every conversation. But the gospel always invites people to go deeper. It always invites people to take that next step, to keep on learning, and to find out more. All right, so we'll we'll just finish off Paul's sermon, and and then we'll, we'll land this whole message, and the band can come up as we finish this off. Verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if no one even if one tells it to you. And look, Paul's got a little bit more guts than I am to say something like that, but essentially what he's saying is, look, some people are gonna reject this message, that not everyone is gonna accept the invitation. But verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. In other words, that there's a whole lot of people in this congregation, in that that synagogue service, that they hear this invitation, they hear this message, they hear the good news of Jesus, and they want to accept it. They want to take the next step. They want to go deeper on this journey. And so look, as we land off this message tonight, and I've been sharing how Paul has preached the gospel, and how we are to share the gospel with those around us, I'm also aware that in some ways, I've actually been walking through the gospel as well. And so I think I would be amiss in this moment if I did not also give an invitation. And look, if you are trying to follow along with the process here, that this is the exact same invitation I give at youth every time I I walk it through with a youth kid, that I say, it's not easy to give your life to Jesus. In fact, it's probably the most difficult decision you will ever make. But it is really simple. In fact, it's as simple as A, B, C. That A, you admit it. You just turn to Jesus and say, hey, there's something wrong in my life. There's something that's broken inside of me. That for whatever reason, I try to be really good. I try to follow all the rules, but for whatever reason, I just can't. That I admit that I'm not just a bad person who needs to do better. I'm actually a sinner who needs a savior. And then B, you believe. And the word, that, the word believe that we translate in Greek, most of the time it's this Greek word, and it literally just means to trust. To trust that what Jesus did on the cross His life, his death, his resurrection, that actually counts to you. It counts for you that that you don't have to understand it, you don't have to to know how it works. But somehow, when when Jesus lifted himself up on nail-pierced hands and feet and and feet, and he said, It is finished, that counts for you. That covers your sin. It covers your brokenness, and you just put your trust in that. And then see you confess that when you become a Christian, you don't just get a saviour who, who takes away your sin. You, you get a, a, a king who rules your life. And what this last step is saying is, is Jesus from this day on, I'm yours. I confess that you are my Lord and saviour. And so whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Whatever you say, uh, to, to wherever you say to go there, I will go, I belong to you. And that's it. That is as simple as it gets in terms of making a decision to follow Jesus. And so look, what I'm gonna do right now is if you wanna close your eyes and bow your head and I just wanna present this invitation to you. And I know it's been a bit of a weird message and we got through a whole lot of verses and I was sort of explaining the gospel by, by explaining how Paul is preaching, but, but somehow if God has just met you tonight, if God has just spoken to your heart and, and you wanna accept this invitation, you want to say, yeah, I, I need that. But with every eye closing, with every head bowed, would you just raise your hand? And, and I do that not, not to, so i going to bring you up, not, going to make, not because I want to make a big deal of this, because I want to pray. you. So if anyone tonight wants to make that decision, would you just raise your hand? All right, I, I'm just going to pray. And if you just want to pray along with me out loud or in your heart, we're just going to, We'll walk through this together, Jesus. I thank you that you came and lived a perfect life, that you died a sinner's death, and that you rose again on the third day. And I admit that I need you. I believe that that somehow, when you, you died on the cross, it counted for me. And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. So church, that is all the gospel is. That is the simple message of Jesus, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we finish this series called, called Life on Mission, that is what God has called us to share to this world around us. That this world around us needs to hear that news. That this world around us has pain, it has questions, it has heartache, and, and they need Jesus to come and meet them in that space. So I just want to, to pray a blessing over us and then we're going to finish with one last song of praise, a, a blessing that we would be the sort of people that would go out and, and do just that. Lord, I just pray for the heart of, of everyone here. Lord, that, that for us, the gospel would not just be a story. It, it would not just be something we, we mentally assent to and get on with our lives. It, it would be good news that we cannot help but, but heralding to the world around us. And Lord, I just pray you would give us conversations where we can can talk about this with people. That you would give us a heart to come alongside those in our lives and and to love them the way that you loved us. And Lord, when the the moment is right, when when the time is as you have ordained it to be, you would give us the grace and the courage to share this story with others. We pray this in, in your name, Lord. Amen.